gather round, gather round, join us for a spell. There is magic to be found, and stories here to tell. Feed the fire, merry meet, dare to more than dabble. All are welcome at our hearth for a little bonfire babble. Bonfire babble. Hi, listeners. This is Detta. You are about to hear an amazing episode with a powerful witch and necromancer, Mortellus, author of Do I Have to Wear Black, a guide and detailed book regarding the death rituals and funerals of many different traditional coven-based witches. Trigger warning. We talk about death and what happens to our bodies after death and some specifics about how the COVID pandemic has impacted death care workers. Some of the discussions may feel graphic to some listeners. Later, we briefly mention sexual abuse, but we don't go into details. We speak of dying and resurrection, the loss of children, and talking to the dead. But we also discuss the Morrigan, mischievous familiars, discussion of when and how to trust your magical experiences, graveyards, herbs, tools for necromancy, and necromancy in D&D. Yeah, we went there too. If any of these subjects concern you, please check the timestamps in the show notes. Otherwise, please just sit back, grab some tea, and enjoy this powerful interview with the generous Mortellus. Welcome to the bonfire. Exploring magic with two modern witches. I'm Corey. And I'm Detta. And we have a very exciting guest for you today. I uh, I have fallen down the Mortellus rabbit hole. Just FYI. <laughs> it's true. Every time I look at my phone, there's a new link or blog post or a text or just a rant about something from your yeah. website or your blog. And I'm like, Detta, yeah. I know. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know what to think about that. <laughs> it's pretty great. Well, welcome. We're so happy you're here. It, it's funny to to hear people be interested in talking to me or, or having me on things like I'm so excited to be here. I'm totally starstruck. I love your show. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. No, no, no. <laughs> other way around. Other way around. <laughs> I'm just a, a dork from rural North Carolina with kids and a dog. And like, it's, it's weird for me to imagine people out there looking at stuff that I'm doing. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited about what you're doing. I'm so excited for people to get to know you. I'm going to do just a quick introduction for it. We have so many new witches listening. We have a mix, but we know for a fact we have a lot of people who are brand new to the craft and they're seeking and they're looking for what path they're going to take. A little background, Mortellus is the author of Do I Have to Wear Black? And it's a, it's a manual of sorts. I would call it a manual for funeral rites of pagans. Yeah. And from tons of different traditions, which we'll get into later. She's been known, she's mostly known for being a witch and a a necromancer and a mortician and a high priestess, an author, obviously. She is also a non-binary human and a mom, and uh, she's the Discordian Minister of Death. And if you want to know more about that, you're going to have to read the book. So uh, go buy that book and read it, and you'll find out what I'm talking about. I am all about anything that talks frankly, honestly, and like <sighs> kindly about death and grief and like how we how we move through that and that is that's this book they can find you teaching in the outer circle of the coven of leaves coven that you run 
Uh, yes. Right? I'm yeah. A, a third degree gardenarian coven leader and uh, have a teaching coven here in Western North Carolina. Do you have to be in North Carolina to take from you or can... That's a fun question. It used to be rather different, but now in the times of COVID-19, we've been experimenting with uh, digital outer courts, which is very exciting. Yeah. There, there are certainly parts of the tradition that are best experienced in person and some must be initiations and all that kind of heavy yeah. jazz. We, we, you know, we're, we're trying it out. We're doing some fun stuff with the, with the online experience. After I went down the rabbit hole, <laughs> I then I then went, huh, I wonder if, uh, because I've only looked in Washington State, I wonder if you're part of Gardarian Seekers on Facebook. And lo and behold. Lo and behold, I am. <laughs> so am I going to be getting a seeker letter? From um, you, uh, yeah, I will just say yes. I will not be coy about this at all. Okay. <laughs> like, like is, uh, yeah, I think so. But I, and I was like, could I travel there? I actually talked to my wife about it already. Could we travel out there? Adam? But before we get into some serious questions, and I'm not that the this first thing that I'm about to bring up isn't serious because I, Corey and I agree that it is. I think something that maybe a lot of people don't know about you unless they're following you on Instagram is that you're a crafter. Uh, yes, and, I and, <laughs> and we have to talk about Corey and I have to talk about the whistle that you recently made. <laughs> so cool. Right, right here. <gasps> I would blow it for you, but it is very loud. <laughs> it's so loud. My ears, my ears appreciate your kindness there. <laughs> um, yeah. One thing people really don't know about me. Um, I'll give you some backstory. That doxing is a big thing. I went through a, a doxing oh. recently. So I just leaned into it. It's like, if you want to know everything about my really boring life, here it is. I mean, you should do something with it, I guess. I don't know what you want. What you want. But uh, yeah, when I was 17, I ran away from home. And growing up in a fundamentalist cult, I had zip nada to start my life with. I, I had no education, elementary, middle, or high school. Zero, none. Being a person who ran away from home with no education, what did I do? I joined a carnival. <laughs> so I spent a decade traveling with a carnival doing uh, face and body art, special effects makeup. And I've done face and body painting forever, like my whole life forever. Oh my gosh. So that was a huge part of my life. And then when I got to a point in my early 20s where I went, I'm going to do this school thing. I got, I went to a community college. I have zero, I have no education. Can I have some, please? I'll take one education. <laughs> I, I don't know. I've always been one of those people wow. who love to learn and I've been curious yeah. about the world and taught myself so that that wasn't a huge detriment to me. And now I have four college degrees and that's crazy, but. And you have, I know one of them's in art. What are the, and one of them must be in mortuary. It is. My yeah. degree was in graphics design and advertising. Whoa. Uh, my so web design, all that happy jazz. I design my own website. You guys have probably seen it. It's a lovely website. Thank yeah. you. Uh, then I got a bachelor's in fine arts from Savannah College of Art and Design. So I, I'm a painter and I do pottery and all kinds of crafts. I just love making stuff. I made this room you're looking at. Your listeners can't hear, but uh, this is a great room. Be, this used to be a garden shed. <laughs> so no way. Turned it into a little office. And, Oh, that looks nothing like a garden shed. It, well, it, it looks lovely. nothing like my garden shed. It's beautiful. <laughs> I pulled this piece of furniture out of a ditch like a month ago and refinished it. <laughs> it's beautiful. People listening I, have no context for this. Oh, I <laughs> love, 
I love making old busted stuff yes. beautiful again. I know. I'm going to send you links to like cool hammered metal effect spray paints that I love. That's okay. Yes, please. I like yes. that. Well, but- and if you want to see the whistle that we're talking about that she held up for us, uh, head to her Instagram page, which will be linked in the show notes. And you can see, and I'll, I'll put also what date it is because this is not airing for a little while. Um, but uh, we'll, we will be talking about you on Instagram until then uh, yeah, because probably. I so much information that I found that I'm like, I have to share this and I have to share this. And I want to do a seven part documentary on Mortellus and where's my crew. <laughs> oh, I, I, I just love doing stuff. I think I, Same. The, I, I, I didn't finish my like random education list, but oh, I yeah, please do. took a degree in education at the same time that I took my mortuary sciences degree. At the, and like, wait a minute. You were pregnant during that time too, weren't you? With twins, yes. <laughs> and I was writing this book during that. So. Do you sleep? No, not really, no. <laughs> no, um, I am a CPTSD sufferer, the aforementioned terrible childhood. Yeah. And I really don't sleep a lot. So yeah. I have turned my insomnia into good, I hope. I spend my nights doing things like taking all the training modules on the American Red Cross website and becoming a certified notary public. <laughs> wow. Um, I wow. volunteer as a listener on Seven Cups. So I lay awake at night and do stuff. I have a similar attitude uh, towards, I want to know more about that thing. So I'm going to yes. just go ahead and take the class then. Yeah, see, you and I, we're on the same wavelength. Yeah. It's like, I've never made a whistle, but I'm gonna. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I do that kind of crap all the time. And then my partner is like, why do you know that? And I'm like, I don't know. Read it somewhere. I just wanted to know about it. I was, I was having this conversation with one of my coven students and like, shout out to Kirke, who will be getting her third degree elevation on Saturday and hiving off and starting her own coven. I'm so proud. Such a proud witch mom. Oh my gosh. Congratulations, Kirke. Yeah. We were having this conversation recently and it's like a big part, we think, of witchcraft is the crafting part. And I think a lot of people leave that mm-hmm. out, but it's that sort of curiosity and drive to create. I'm the, I'm like super suspicious of witches that don't do stuff. <laughs> like, what's your weird thing that you're obsessed with? Please tell me about it. I know. Corey does wood burning. That is amazing. And yeah, I- obsessed with wood burning for a while. <laughs> yeah, check that out. Well, we were talking about your awesome coven. And again, congratulations to your student. That's amazing. Covens are, generally speaking, historically pretty secretive. Uh, They keep a lot of their practice to themselves, which more power to you. But you have written this book. How do you like walk that sort of very thin line um, between the rules that you have to follow for secrecy and then also writing such a thorough like handbook book situation. You know, I found myself thinking a lot about my spouse and when I was writing. And I I think Mm -hmm. he grew up around Gardnerian craft and he married a Gardnerian, but is not one himself. And I found myself thinking, what if what if I died tomorrow? How would he participate in that moment? How would he feel like he could honor me in death? How would he feel like he could be a part of those experiences? when he is an outsider to a mystery tradition. That's, that's hard. That's really hard. And I took a hard look at sort of 
what that must look like for other members of our tradition who have children who are grown and never became a part of the of the tradition and I wanted to make something for them. So step one, write everything from scratch. Not, not breaking the rules if I made it. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> new. I, I did try really hard to rely on quoting things founders of our tradition said and finding tidbits of context I could put here and there. And of course, there are things I left out. And I think for any tradcraft listeners out there who have read this book or who haven't and are curious, you'll notice a lot of my language is coded. There mm-hmm. are things in there that might not mean anything to you if you're not an initiate, but you would read that sentence and know what I meant otherwise. So there are little clues in there, I think, for people. I wanted to sort of dispel that idea that there isn't a place for, for an outsider to participate. I mean, we have outer court for a reason. We have those spaces for people who are not yet initiates. And there's no reason that they can't be welcoming to family in a time of loss or a time of transition, like a birth or Mm. these huge rites of passage in life. And I hope that I succeeded in walking that fine line. I certainly sent it to plenty of elders in the tradition as I was working. Just, is this too much? I don't know. But uh, I I, I think I found a happy balance, I hope. I think, too, what a beautiful place to come from, like wanting loved ones to participate in your life and then the end of that life that's I just think that perspective is incredibly like beautiful and important and like I don't know if I I don't really think that way all the time and and so like that's a really great that's like a really great way to think about how and what you say mm-hmm. is like how can I include the people I love who don't necessarily walk the same path as me right I, I had an experience when I was, I've uh, spent a ton of time volunteering and lab assistanting and all that kind of stuff. And then clergy work as well. I've just been kind of around death a lot. And, and I was in a situation a, a few years back where uh, I was assisting in preparing the body of someone who died in an accident, motorcycle accident. Oof. And... This person was clearly a Norse pagan. Their tattoos gave them away. Oh, wow. The things in their pockets gave them away, their, their personal effects. And I reached out to the family to ask if they had any special requests. And they were heartbroken to confess that they didn't understand it and had no idea how to celebrate him. So I found myself, here I am, a gardenerian Wiccan, being called to be a universalist. We were talking about this earlier. I have to you know, sort of figure out who are his kindred and what, what do they do and what do they celebrate and, and who are his gods and what are his oaths and how can I help this person? And, and my goodness, if there was some kind of resource for that family to yeah. figure out what they could do for him. So you know, I was able to put myself in a situation where they were able to participate in those rites in a way that didn't make them uncomfortable with their own faith practices, which were not, which were not his and bridge the gap to what was important to him. And, and that, that's huge. That's enormous. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of peace that you can, can give a person. I was just going to say what comfort to be able to bridge that, even if they think they didn't approve. I think the not knowing is what confuses people so much and, and makes them think, 
oh, I'm definitely not going to agree with this. And then they hear some of the practices and see some of the rituals and go, oh, yeah, no. Oh, that's beautiful. That's what I felt reading your your book, even though I know I'm aligned with a, a lot of it. But even so, there was so much of it that was just like, oh, that is, I felt a lot of joy reading your book. I found myself in this position. Obviously, I could not include every faith practice. That's yeah. not possible. No. I had to sit there and really choose carefully. Most of them are, are Western practices, Eurocentric practices. I, I certainly didn't want to step into the realm of explaining anyone's cultural practices and, and so on. But up to a point, some of the choices I made were to show the widest variety to funeral uh, workers because I wanted to be able to show some really disparate practices that would give them a foundational understanding of the types of requests they might receive from a pagan family. So that even though you might not find your faith practice, you can point to different areas of the book and say, this works for me and this works for me. And you can piecemeal those things together in a way that works. Well, and like I mentioned earlier, you also give enough citation and information that if somebody wanted to investigate it, they could jump off of that. It it sparred. So my wife and I have talked about um, end of life and made a lot of plans and stuff, probably more than most people that we personally know. But even but reading this, <laughs> we had conversations that we hadn't thought to have yet. And we and, and she turned to me and went, Oh my gosh, how have we not had these conversations yet? I would, I don't know, but we haven't. So it, it really spurred us. So I I'm just this book is just so awesome. And it's so perfect for right now, because uh, we are going through COVID and there's so much loss, but, uh, but I'm actually losing, losing a lot of people, quote, not to COVID, because so many other illnesses are cropping up and not being taken care of in a timely manner. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, and I know, um, I know your profession in particular is getting hit really hard dealing with this all the time. You can see the, this. Oh. she's pointing to bags under her eyes. So it's bad. Tired. I can imagine you're tired. For your listeners, um, there's, there's literally a psychological condition that's assigned to people in death care work. We call really? it compassion fatigue. When hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month, you constantly have to be in a place of empathy for a grieving person. It's very tiresome. Not at all to that degree, but I, as a very empathic person, suffer from compassion fatigue from time to time. And it's been, if it's bad for me during COVID, I can't even yeah. imagine same. Imagine that the only thing you were ever getting to feel was grief. Ugh. Just raw, it, clawing, angry grief of the people that just feel like something's been taken from them. Exhausting. And yeah. I can't imagine. I don't like to call myself a medium. I don't think that word really describes me very well, but um, I do interact with the dead on a personal level. So that's something I also have to feel. It gets tiring and I spend a lot of those sleepless nights texting with mortuary workers that I know who are, are just like, I can't do it anymore. I can't. I cannot oh. get up tomorrow and go to work. And, and you're just you're trying to talk them down. Whoa. Wow. I'm so, I'm sorry. And I'm grateful to you, all of you who are doing this work because it's, and also I think too, we don't 
think of you as often. I, I heard a whole NPR article about it, about how you, your particular profession gets kind of ignored, but are going through some of the same stuff. And actually, a lot of the dangerous stuff with the bodies afterwards, because COVID doesn't die with them. And this NPR article was talking about that and how you kind of get ignored over the nurses and the doctors who are, because you're on the front line with them. <laughs> I'll give you some high points. Um, I had, I, I recall at one point somebody saying, well, what are you scared of? They're not coughing on you, right? That's why are you worried about it? They don't think about the fact that we have to lift their bodies, manipulate the airs coming out of those lungs and into your yeah. face. I yeah. We often have to autopsy. We definitely have to aspirate the lungs with a device called a trocar, which imagine like a cartoon sized, like acne brand hypodermic needle. Mm -hmm. And we have to push it in and release the gases from the chest. So you're there the in the room with that. It's coming out in our face. And I saw your blog post about requiring more PPE for like those reasons. We've talked about, um, we talked about in our industry about um, how long COVID can live on the body. Normally we think of embalming as a process that's, if not sterilizes, it disinfects mm -hmm. the body. It kills a lot of viruses, basically the process. But um, we have found live COVID on an embalmed body as much as 18 days after death. And they're just constantly around you. Just, I don't want to sound dramatic, but just mountains of bodies. Um, there have been points where we've had like these giant 18 like 18 wheeler freezer trucks and you're in the dark in there probably wearing a trash bag for a gown and a bandana tied over your face hoping the thing you stepped on was not a person oh. because you can't see and it's just people stacked like firewood and that's just so much and then they tell you at the end of the day that you're b class for equipment so they've already given away all the masks or all the whatever or, how are you b class how does that happen or we delivered coffee and donuts or whatever but they're not for you or what we're covering someplace to sleep but not for you like most of the volunteers who have done mortuary recovery work during this crisis including myself uh, we're responsible for our own food, lodging, travel, and oh we're not God. getting paid at all. So <laughs> you talk about going in the hole for a year just to be able to help. It's scary for a lot of people. I bet it is. Oh, I'm so sorry. All that to say, if anybody out there is feeling generous, go pick up a dozen donuts and take them to your local funeral home or your morgue or whatever, because those people are tired. I yeah, bet they no are. Kidding. Yeah, that's uh, definitely, I, I don't, I couldn't remember if I heard you talk about it or read you talking about the trucks and that uh, this is not fake news. So yeah. here to hate to dispel your, your fake news. Yeah, I'm so sorry, Martellus, and but thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I think it's so important that, because like, I'm going to make a really weird, probably crude analogy. Go for it. I feel like in the same way that most people don't know where their meat comes from, they don't understand what happens to your body when you die. Oh, yes. And like, I know because my mommy is a nurse. 
<laughs> and she's been a nurse my whole life. Yeah, and also here. I'm just kind of morbid and weird and I want to know everything. So I, uh, I've also died in a lot of plays and I always like to know what happens to the body when they die the way that I die in a play. Got hanged once. That was a weird one. Lots of weird crap happens to your body in that situation. Man, that's anyway. a tough one. That's a tough one to embalm too, to make them, yeah. make them pretty. Oh, you've got all the, your listeners don't want to hear that. Though. Nope. That's gross and weird and we won't go there on the air, but we can always chat about it another time, you and I. But um, I think that in the same way that we don't, we're so disconnected from so much about our survival, we're also completely disconnected from our mortality in a, in a like practical, physical way. Oh. So I just wanted to say like, thank you for providing that, um, while it is grim at the moment, like context for like, what is happening, like what is happening. We hear about these huge numbers, but nobody is listening or looking or caring about where those numbers go and what they look like. That's such a thing too. I constantly hear people on the internet talk about, oh, the numbers are actually too big. Or I will argue with you all day long that those numbers are too low. We have lost more than half a million dead. And let me give you a little bit of insight. Every state has different rules for filling out death certificates. Every single one. They are different everywhere. And politics are a factor. Yep. Depending on how your state feels about a current situation, they may alter the rules of those death certificates to benefit themselves. In my state, the rules have changed a dozen times easily in the last year. You cannot keep up with it. Um, Currently, we have four slots for cause of death. Most people think... You get shot. It says on your death certificate, you got shot. No, it does not. (laughs) It probably says that you suffered hypoxia uh, due to blah, due to blah, due to blah. That's sort of, we have to stack conditions. So for everyone out there, well, you might go to the hospital because you have COVID and you go to the ICU and you're put on a ventilator and, and you die, but it might say that you died of kidney failure. I remember that during the AIDS ec- epidemic, you would often hear, oh, well, they died of cancer. And, and even at the funeral and their families were just as bad as the official documents saying, oh, well, they died of pneumonia. Yeah, they died of AIDS and complications, but they're not allowed to say that. And I I see the same exact same thing happening with COVID. It just makes me sick to my stomach. We have to put, we have to put what that doctor wrote down in their notes. And they can say whatever they want to. Yes, they can. I can have a body in front of me with a bullet wound in its head and it could say they died of the flu. And I have to put that. Yeah, put contributing causes, or I could demand that it's suspicious. But when you're getting dozens and dozens a day because we're in a pandemic, that's really hard to keep up with. But our person who died of kidney failure might have kidney failure complicated by diabetes, complicated by being in the ICU. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And by the time you filled up all your little lines, you've got no room to say. They had COVID and that's why they were even here. Mm -hmm. Well, let me circle back to something that you said. You talked about how you um, get visitors and you you talk with the dead. You have seen them for quite a long time. Do you ever doubt your experiences? And if you do, or even if you don't, do you have any advice for our listeners if they do doubt their experiences? So for... 
for you who have read the book, you, you know, I talk a bit about definitely staying in good contact with my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I've sat there a few times going, but are you sure that I don't need medication for this? Are you sure? <laughs> We've had that conversation. And I think it's really good to check yourself. That's important. I mean, I, I really do believe that. Magical experiences are far more magical if you can eliminate mundane possibilities. Yeah. Corey and I talk a lot about mental health and the differences also between mental health and shadow work, but also just the importance of mental health. And Corey d- gives us therapy updates. So-, therapy update. <laughs> so you would say check in with your therapist first and then? You know, I think that I feel like a lot of times when people say hot take, they're just really, it's just the modern, like, no offense. The offense is coming. It's just meanness described as like <laughs> something snappy. It's like it's new branding for being an asshole. <laughs> Hot take. I think it is important to sit with your experiences. One, if you have a magical experience, make sure you feel safe and comfortable with what's happening. If you even remotely feel like you're being endangered by a situation, immediately post haste, go to a medical professional. But I don't think there's anything wrong with sitting with like a visual experience for a day or two and finding your comfort with it before talking to your therapist. You know, one, make sure that you have a pagan friendly therapist who is understanding in regards to magical thinking and magical faith practices, because that's going to be really different. It, your, your Christian therapist might be really different from your atheist therapist might be really different from, you know have conversations, make sure that they know where you're coming from as, as a culture. Yeah. Okay. Differences are huge. So go in confident that you feel this might have been a spiritual experience, but you want their take. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't let yourself be swayed, but be open to listening. Those things are important, I think. So you shared a pretty uh, personal story in the book. And also share, and you can find out if you start to read patheos.com, uh, the uh, A Crow in the Dead, your blog. You can find out that you share that you follow the Morgan. And um, our listeners know that I am a follower of the Morgan. She claimed me as well. And I did not see that coming years and years ago. We have similar scars of uh, abuse and childhood trauma. And although mine was not a cult, well... <laughs> Officially, <laughs> I guess it's a pretty beat. Open for interpretation. <laughs> yes, I guess so. So I grew up Southern Baptist, speaking in tongues and all that. And the very first time that I went to a therapist, it was a Christian therapist of the church, and said that I had been abused. And they said, you need to pray for your forgiveness and what you did wrong. Same. So, and I read a similar thing in your book. Do you, are you finding other people that the Morgan takes as her children. But since you're a coven leader, I thought, and I don't want to violate any privacy stuff. Do you find that followers of the Morgan have similar scars? I don't know. That's a tricky question. I've definitely met quite a few people since I wrote the book that have come forward or emailed me or reached out to say, you basically wrote an experience that I had, or that's what death looked like to me. Or Everybody talks about a tunnel, but for me, it was like what you wrote. And and that's been so huge because when I sat down to write that book, I had no intention of putting that in there at all. 
Wow. And you get that uh, not at all uh, willing to compromise voice over your shoulders saying this goes in. Yep. I'm here to collect on that debt. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Write it down. <laughs> Had that conversation. Yeah. Hence, we have a podcast. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the reason we have a podcast. <laughs> so you know, talk about something just vulnerable. Vulnerable. I, I think, I don't know. I'll, I'm just going to be like a crappy human for a second. I think a lot of us who grow up in situations like that, and especially who've survived those kinds of things, we sure love our walls. <laughs> we sure love to be tough and strong and I know stuff and how dare you. Mm. I've never cried a tear in my life. Don't look at me. <laughs> what are, You're crying. That's, <laughs> right? We're all very, def- we're cagey and defensive in this. <laughs> It makes us feel very safe, I think. So to sit down in front of keyboard and have this deity that I've worked with for my whole life, pretty much. Yeah, you were five. I was five. Say, hey, guess what? I know you're writing about funerals and stuff, but I've decided today you're going to talk about getting raped as a kindergartner. So yay. And, and you don't want to be seen as weak. And you know, there's going to be the one person who's going to use it against you. I got an email one day from someone who was mad about an article I wrote. And they were like, that thing that happened, clearly they didn't do it hard enough. You know, because people Jesus. are horrible. Oh. Right. People are the worst. People yeah. Are the worst sometimes. Yeah. And there's always going to be somebody who's like, that just sounds like a really good story to have written. It's not. That was not fun. So you don't want to deal with it. And I didn't want to write it. But I can see now that it was important, I guess, Mm -hmm. because I've realized that on the one hand, it's been this sort of link between a lot of her devotees. Yeah. Look at us having this connection, right? Right. But also there's, I've, I've encountered a few people who have found a lot of peace in um, just hearing that there was some place to go and something to see. And that's been important. And I'm glad that I did that even, even with all the bad junk that's happened, but. Well, I deeply appreciated it. And it was um, inspiring. Sounds so trite. I, and I don't mean it to sound trite. It was encouraging to, it was, it was encouraging to hear and to go, okay, because I, 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 I have shared with more tales. I, I wrote a one woman show that kind of uh, dealt with this, um, this issue. And it, and it was, it was incredibly, incredibly vulnerable and not nearly on as large of a stage, literally as what you are as an author out there, sending the baby out there in the world and it being out there in print. It's a lot different than a live theater experience. And I, it was just incredibly encouraging and it went back to for me it's like oh yeah and listening also to where you went when you died uh, it was like oh yeah that uh that that sounds really familiar it all was just really and it just it was very validating as well as encouraging so I really appreciate that you were vulnerable enough to share it with us so thank you I don't think I had a choice in the matter <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> to actually answer your question, though, I think I have certainly met a lot of people who have 
survived things, especially as children who encountered this deity. I think that I do think there is a connection there. And certainly there's, mm -hmm. there's going to be people that have all kinds of different experiences mm -hmm. and we're all unique, but, but there's certainly paints picture. Yeah, it does. I had, yeah. uh, had a person tell me once years ago when I was but a wee baby pagan who knew nothing about anything. I, I tried to talk about the Morgan a little bit and what my relationship to her had been. And they got really mad at me. They seemed just annoyed about it. They were like, the Morgan is not a mother goddess. She's not a mother figure, blah, 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 et cetera. We literally just had that conversation recently. Oh. I, because somebody said the exact same thing to me. And I was like, oh, well, the Morgan might not be a mother figure to you, but okay. Wow. Let me lay this down for you. And as a non-binary mother of three children, this is an important message for me. Maybe we need to adjust our perception of mothers. Maybe it's O fucking K for mothers to be non-binary and to be strong and to have a take no shit attitude. They don't all need to have a fucking daisy crown and be perpetually <laughs> pregnant. Can we just not at that? Yeah, and <laughs> mothers are so much more than nurture. Yeah. They're nurture and protect and okay. and fight and like they're soft and they're hard. And I think that's important. Well, I don't know about you, but I found I found her badass protection very mother. very nurturing yeah <laughs> it was where i lived <laughs> yep yep and that was weird for me too because and i've i have talked about this to other people but oh in other podcasts in other places i i was in a situation where i didn't have a lot of media access i certainly had no education i wasn't around other people my own age i was a bunch, i was around a bunch of old baptists i didn't have books or tv or radio any of those things so I always joke to people that this is sort of my tent revival story because <laughs> there was nothing tainting my perception of that. There's nothing to give me those images. So when I went to that place and I saw those things and I met that person and I saw what she looked like and I heard the words that she said, they were raw for me. There was nothing to tell me what that was supposed to be. So when I spent the rest of my young life from age six to, you know, when I ran away, I had no name for her. I just knew what her symbols were. I knew she had a spear. I knew crows and blackbirds were hers. I knew, I, I don't know. I, you I, knew. Mental list, yeah. like UPG of what this figure was. So when I stumbled on her in a book and it was like, she's real which is like this <laughs> yeah that's okay with the tablets in the woods or something that was <laughs> so now I just have to glom onto this so you grew up Baptist my parents were free will Baptists <laughs> but also chilled with a lot of Mennonite folks and oh yeah of word of faith folks yeah got a little scary eerily familiar <laughs> <laughs> And uh, carted about like like the tiny partridge family to sing in choirs and go to town revivals. We attended a church for a while that was not but an army mess tent in the woods for like months. Yeah. Yep. Um, During the summer. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
uh, like singing and like testimonies and people yep. their cues and stuff. Yes. We just talked with a cross-culture Christian. He chatted with us and he asked about our experiences and yes, tent revivals and all that kind of stuff were mine. And Corey was Methodist, I think. Mine right? was the... Uh the casual but insidious suburban christianity yeah. that i grew up around my it's different but worse <laughs> it's different no. very different i went to a couple of uh they called them convo oh. uh, it's like a gathering you had like young people in camp though that's really different from an old man drowning you in a baptismal yes <laughs> it's it is. different very different but I went to the I went to this convo and a couple of like what they call lock-ins where we would watch movies and one time we watched that really scary Kirk Cameron movie left behind and I was oh. not for me fam but um I went to convo once and uh I remember these kids and we were just sitting around and they were talking about like I don't even know stuff that sounded like so made up at the time and it sounded it was so it felt so performative um and I really just went because my boyfriend at the time was at that church and so I went to the youth group with them and then I ended up going on these trips. I, I was not in that kind of church, even yeah. remotely. I was in churches that had like no heating and air that were like, you walk in the front door and there's a toilet and you're in the sanctuary. We had like a wood yeah. stove situation. Yeah. There might be eight people there on a given Sunday or a bunch if it was a revival. And the river baptisms, those were huge. Amusingly, I was baptized in Morningstar Lake, which sounds a bit on the nose for where my life wound up. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was, I like it. I, I was baptized say, seven times as a kid. Holy cow. <laughs> did yeah. I will say my favorite thing about church always was hearing my Aunt Linda sing. That's one thing I did enjoy when we would go on Easter and Christmas to the St. Bede's Episcopal Church. Um, I got to listen to my Aunt Linda sing. And like that was... That was all right with me. I can't even remotely say it, I, it would be a lie to say I have not felt the presence of that deity in those spaces, especially mm -hmm. song, like music was such a huge part of it. It's part of it. I was just talking to uh, Divine Hand Jim, actually, about uh, seeking a coven. And part of the reason was uh, not that I have any desire to be anything like what I grew up, but uh, it, you cannot deny that spirit was there. You know, I think it was just being misinterpreted, and Corey and I have talked about this as well before, misinterpreted really horribly and used to abuse and oppress. So, okay, we went down a rabbit hole there, folks. Sorry about that. <laughs> I, we, oh, yeah. What were you going to say? I have to share with you this one. Please. Story. I, um, I have this one really vivid memory, and it's one of my few, like, that's a good church memory for me. We had this, we had this young pastor. He had only just declared that he had received the calling you know that was kind of and, and this was the kind of space where like women don't wear pants you, everybody's got the long skirt you wear your hair long your hair's covered mm -hmm. um, I don't know about you but uh, we had the ceremonies where like all the men lined up and the women we had to like cry on their feet and like dry their feet with our hair and shit like that whole bit uh, I see your face like we have we lived the same life but um that's some like super creepy weird patriarchal stuff oh, that... it was horrible talk about misinterpreting a bible story we could yeah. do a whole episode on that nevertheless we have this young minister and he's he's vehement you know he's very he's caught up in the moment and it's you know it's the best kind of religious theater you know 
and he <laughs> shouts out he's it's all in one motion he's like jumping up onto a front pew and he's saying that that god has a hold of him like his suspenders have a hold of his pants but as he does that they snap oh <laughs> no loses his pants. <laughs> so god didn't have a hold of you there you go the metaphor I wonder if that it. tumbled him into a little crisis of faith for a second <laughs> oh it was a great moment though that is a great moment it definitely stuck with me as a kid <laughs> it is no secret based on who you are what you do your website that you are a necromancer i have a sort of two-part question what the heck does that mean in a real world context and two how do you get from necromancy to necro botany because necrobotany is the dopest term i've ever heard in my life well one i have to preface this by saying that i play D and video games and i'm just a big old nerd and hell yes what's your um, class what's your race what do you play okay so i'm a four-star paizo gm for pathfinder and a rent shut up sorry i didn't mean to yell first gen all the way because Fuck anything the young people are doing. Do math, god damn it. <laughs> We're playing 5e right now, but it's pretty fun. So sad. So sad. <laughs> um, so I really think that games like that have super ruined the idea of doing any kind of ne- death magic because I think mm-hmm. they've given a perception of what it ought to be and think. Mm-hmm. To you, Diablo and Gauntlet, for doing that. We all have like skulls, shul- like pauldrons, right? <laughs> yep. I hang mine in the closet. They're out for dry yeah. cleaning right now, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> so necromancy started out at a point as being your friendly neighborhood magic worker. It was a pretty all purpose term at a point. And it was a service that anybody might give their community, just like a mortician or a death worker someone you could call on to help you in those times of transition um and that's an oversimplification but i'll throw it out there and i i love what daniel ogden says in greek and roman necromancy he says the question isn't why did ancient people practice necromancy the better question is why don't we today because it was so pervasive but then we move on up to like the 1500s and Catholics went, we do a bunch of necromancy and we love bedazzling corpses and stuff, but, but we don't want those people to do it. So it's probably demons. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> bedazzling corpses is the nope. name of my new all girl rock band. <laughs> TM, 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 TM. We take a non-binary on base. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Fems and thems. Fems and thems in my rock band. Oh, fuck. That's a funny phrase. <laughs> that is amazing. I'm back. Nobody does necromancy quite like Catholics. I mean, they It's do, true. What are they doing when they're interacting with saints? What are they doing yep. with operaries? What are they doing with reliquaries? Under every altar is some human bones that are probably from the 13th century, but they claim her, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. We've, we've all been through this. And there's nothing funnier and more ironic on the planet than is the Catholic icon that is Galileo's middle finger on display. Uh-huh. So good. <laughs> so good. So that's necromancy. All of that is necromancy. They just want to define for you why that is good. And what we do as anyone who isn't Christian is bad. Mm. 
So we had a bit of a PR problem in that time period. And then you saw- We're still recovering from that PR problem. You saw a lot of like white Catholic guys on out to like the 1800s, John D and Elf Levy and so on. And they're all just like, we do the good stuff. Sure. Jesus is involved. And he said it was totes fine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just wearing a dead guy's pants and eating sad wine. And there's nothing evil about this. So that we had that whole thing going on for a bit. And then we tip over and we get things like some early sort of sci-fi fiction type stuff that starts using that kind of met. We see a lot of like zombie stuff. And so yeah. On. And that becomes a fun trope in fiction, right? Well, I was going to say there's tons of urban fantasy that deal with necromancers. They're always the villain, almost always. And they're almost always up to no good. I've emailed so many higher-ups at Paizo talking about how death magic should be intrinsically neutral. Why? Is resurrection a goodly spell in D&D, but reanimation is evil? Why is magic jar not evil, but animate dead is? (laughs) Uh, Those are way worse. Uh, Fireball uh, is to whom it may concern. Why is that not evil, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if I raise this underwave, underwave is a very destructive spell. If I raise a corpse in D and D, for example, to ask them who killed them, and then let them rest, that is evil, and I've done an evil thing, and everyone hates me, and like gods want me to die. That's terrible. That's like you terrible. You literally health. just described pushing daisies with leap hands. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Oh, God, that was a great show. But a wizard in D&D can cast, or Pathfinder rather, can cast Magic Jar, which takes literally any container and steals your soul away and puts it in there and you own it now. That's not evil. Fucked up. <laughs> okay, they need, to, they need to get on this. Come on, people. <laughs> but to your significant other, I would say we are all necromancers right now. We're all practicing necromancy every single day. Like, think about it. Every time you go to the cemetery and leave flowers for your relative, every time you light a candle next to the picture of your dead grandma, every Christmas when you go, oh, Uncle Jeff, if only you could see everyone. Like, you are doing necromancy. You are interacting with the dead. You're working with that energy. I, really- I, I think that that's so important to think about, like, when you're working with the dead in any kind of way. Because we talked a lot about uh, different types of mancies. And uh, yeah. literally, it just means blank magic. So, like, cartomancy, card, magic. Ostumancy, bone, magic. Like, it, death magic encompasses so many things. It encompasses the taking care of, like, yeah, to, to my understanding, of course, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it, like, it covers everything from taking care of the body when it has passed to the mourning process to the, like, grief and letting go process to to like the healing process even so the the etymological origin i'm such a dork the origins of the no we do this all the time this is great (laughs) the origins of the suffix mancy really refers to divination so typically when people hear the phrase necromancy they mean death divination or divination that involves the dead But you could interpret that more broadly to mean um, gaining knowledge from or communicating with and really what doesn't 
fall within those bounds or you're, you're building an altar or you're doing a spell, you know, most of those things. So today it's pretty broadly defined to mean any kind of magic using death. Mm-hmm. I could get into a whole thing about this, but I just briefly, I'll say, you know, I, I come from tradcraft and gardenarian and, you know, we've got this whole uh, fertility magic's kind of our shtick, right? Right. I think that that is a little bit broken. I, I can see you not writing a secret letter right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that when we put all the emphasis on priestesses and witch queens and the goddess and life and birth that we leave something broken Mm. that we forget that we also work with reincarnation which means death that we work with the horn god which is masculine energy that we we have to balance that scale anything is broken when you forget that there has to be a give and take and that's where we wind up with things like broken binary systems where trans people and non-binary and agender people don't feel included or welcome and i hope everyone listening knows that there's a ton of people that are very welcoming and inclusive and i'm one of them but for me it's less about goddess and god and man and woman and like moon vagina and horn penis or whatever and it's life and death I don't do good, bad, light, dark, good and evil, left hand, right hand. I don't get into that. But I will say this. Think about in circle magic. We cast a circle and we hold our thumb in the right hand and we walk around clockwise building a cone of power, right? We think of left hand magic as something bad intrinsically. But what, what are you doing when you hold your thami in your right hand or when you're casting with your right hand or you're doing right hand magic? What does it mean? If you think about the systems of your body, think about the vascular return from your heart, right? On the right hand side of your body, you have all of that venous return, all of that just sort of toxic, deoxygenated, nasty blood returning to your heart where it is resurrected in the left chamber of your heart and return to your body as a life-giving force. Maybe left-hand magic is really that reincarnation, that regeneration, that plenogenesis, that gift of life, so that when we walk around that altar clockwise, Athami in our right hand, it's always about dying. It's always about death because we are marching the clock forward. But necromancy is about flipping that on its head that left chamber of your heart, just reanimating that blood to give your body life. You resurrect yourself with every beat of your heart. And I think that's really beautiful. One of the things that so spoke to me about something of yours that I read, that is, I don't think in the, in the, I think it's in your blog. And I, I, my mother was also a nurse. So I I learned this really early on, but I love the way you phrased it. Is that if our cells don't die every seven years if they actually go ahead and they do that um, transformation and they turn into cancer cells Mm -hmm. they have to die you have to start anew you have to reincarnate and we do that every seven years in our physical lives our cells do that and if they don't we're in trouble and that just spoke to me 
so much. And also the um, my daughter's going through an ejection rate issue right now, and they're trying to figure out where it is. So that's there's a story uh, that you share in your book about that that I won't spoil, but everybody go read it. It's really awesome. Um, it's it's a great story. And uh, and you just pulled me right in there as well with that, with the heart, doing that work, and that that's what we as humans... I, it's just so powerful that I'm so moved and so touched and it's so true. We were just talking about uh, balance, uh, new beginnings and like death and rebirth and how that's part of like the vernal equinox uh, in our spring equinox episode last week, a couple weeks ago. Sorry, excuse me. I, time is a time doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of there's stories in I'm sure every culture, but in my experience, a lot of cultures that highlight and emphasize the importance of death because without it new life can't happen we see it in the cycle of the trees like their leaves drop and fertilize the soil for the next year things die and thaw and die and thaw and die and thaw every single season and i think i don't know i feel like i'm super interested in death um not in like a I don't know what people would consider a morbid way, but just in like, um, if I think about it and know about it, it's less scary to me. Like if I think about it as part of the experience, it's less frightening. And, and I think it should be less frightening. I think that we all inherently in our, you know, lizard brain instincts have like a healthy fear of risk and danger. But I think that it's important to remember that like, I mean, I don't need to tell you this, but I think it's important that that we remember that it's part of the experience. So I, I mentioned earlier that I, I don't like using the word medium for myself. And I'll tell you why. I think mediums, I think it's a skill you can learn. And I think that a medium is just a really talented psychic, someone with all the clear senses, sight and scent and speech and hearing, but it does not necessarily mean you'll be able to speak the language of the dead. They do speak a common tongue, but that's a whole different combo. When I had that experience as a child and when I was in that coma, I was dead on the table for seven or eight minutes. And I have always sort of quipped to myself that they did not resurrect me at all. Like they did not resuscitate me, that I died. And I remained dead. And I, I firmly do believe that that little girl that suffered so much got to stay there with the Morgan and be at peace. And I'm glad for that because she shouldn't have to live in my memories. But we're all just ghosts haunting our corpse, right? I'm not a medium. I'm just a little bit dead. My eyes are just different. And that's, I think a different thing and probably terrible, like it's not, it's not very useful at all. It's not cool to put on a business card. <laughs> How do you market that? Hmm. I don't know. If I got a business card that said that, I'd be like, lit. How do I know more about this cool person? <laughs> think about it. We are, we're all just this spark of, of electricity haunting yeah. this like cranium filled with jello that doesn't have the electrical power to light a light bulb that's operating like a bone mech inside meat armor it's like the weirdest shit just being alive is so weird <laughs> it's very weird we rely on an overworked like salt adult <laughs> muscle 
to reanimate us every couple of seconds. Right. Salt and water. You? <laughs> and here we are. Think, think of the resurrective quality of what you are every moment you take a breath. And for me, that 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 is necromancy really at its core. And you asked me earlier how how that came back around to necrobotany, and, I, and I'll tell you what that is. Now, first of all, you should know that the only place I've ever heard that word is in D&D, and it's an archetype for druids. So enjoy that. Dope. <laughs> but... <laughs> You're making me want to play a druid real bad. I'm not a druid, but I, I want to play one now. The archetype is terrible, and it's actually really cheesy and embarrassing for necromancers, but <laughs> nevertheless. I think we have this perception that necromancers probably have, like, um, corpses laying around. We're, like, at cemeteries with a shovel all the time, like grave robbing and whatever. I, I was doxxed recently, and in, in, in one of the, like, horrible emails I received, the person asked if... Uh, if I was uh, putting the remains of, of families I work with in my in my shop goods, if if somebody's grandma was in my soap, like that's the worst thing that anybody. I could saw said. that in your FAQ, and you were like, no. Yeah, that's weird. yeah. I had to go into my FAQ and like make some edits because how dare somebody say stuff wow. like that? But um, think about the world that we're in, plants live and die and they, they absorb nutrients from the earth and, and they die and they take their place in the earth as food for yet other plants like we have this regenerative cycle we're really familiar with that but let's say you walk into a cemetery and you need materials for your necromantic work you're probably not going to dig somebody up and you're probably not going to go chipping corners off headstones because you're not a jerk why would you do that <laughs> but in older cemeteries where there aren't vaults um, anything like pre-1900s where people would have been buried directly into the earth. First of all, be very careful where you step because vaults keep the ground from collapsing. There are big old air pockets where those caskets used to be. They yep. fall inward. If you've ever stepped into one of those sinkholes, that's a fun way to imagine going. What a nightmare. That sounds like a, <laughs> like the idea of the floor going out from under me in ideal conditions, let alone walking through a cemetery. Yeah, that oh, yeah. sounds like horror movie stuff. <laughs> I, I did take a tumble like that once and oh, no. came out of it with like a sprained ankle, but thankfully I didn't have like a cave-in or anything. But oh my goodness. Nevertheless, in these older cemeteries with no vaults, obviously people are decaying directly into the earth and that's great and awesome and we want that, but glance about you. Every tree, every shrub, every everything lived off of those decaying remains. It exists in their roots, in their leaves, in the wood. And I do not recommend you go about destroying plants in cemeteries, but look on the ground for fallen twigs and, and different things like that. And those are things you can use in your work. And that stick contains just as much dead person as the grandma you might have craved were robbed in a video game or whatever. Wow. So, <laughs> that's really important. I also love doing work with findagrave.com, which is something you do totally on your own time. You do not need anybody's permission or involvement, but Find a local forgotten cemetery in your hometown. Mm. Uh, organize a cleanup. Mow the grass. Um, take photos of all the headstones. Draw a little map of them in order. Transcribes the names and date of births. So you can upload them to find a grave and help grow their archives. If you don't feel like doing all that stuff, you can log in and look at photos other people uploaded but weren't able to read or make out. And you can help transcribe them so those cemeteries aren't forgotten. 
Oh, wow. In my own it's... hometown, <laughs> we have quite a few old Civil War cemeteries that are like buried in the woods. Like people barely recall that they exist. So I like to go work with those. And what I do is I plant uh, all the necromantic herbs that I like to work with, just wild style, scatter them in the woods and in the tree lines around these old cemeteries. So wow. I grow all my wormwood and mugwort and all those things and, and the mint for my lip balm and soap I grow in those spaces and it can be a gift for those dead I'm beautifying the space mm-hmm. they're giving their energy to it I'm giving mine to them and then I can take those materials back they're mine I'm not hurting anything or damaging the space dry those materials and make them available to all of you find people on my website so that is amazing my wife and I stop at every when we're doing road trips which obviously we haven't done for a while, stop at every single one of those old one. And they're just hidden. They just pop up out of nowhere sometimes. They're just alongside of the road and there's like 25 graves and there's a history there. And I had no, so findagrave.com. I definitely want to do that. You might be surprised how many little cemeteries are just hiding around you. Or go to your local library and ask the archivist if they know of any. You might, there might be one, you know, in the woods, with six people buried there and they just they're alone and go say hi you know we've taken so much of your time and we so appreciate it can (laughs) may we ask just can we end with this last question ask all Um, questions you like (laughs) in your book you say ask you and so i'm dying to ask can you talk about your familiar oh And the specialness of the uh, non, what I assume is a non-corporeal? Correct, yes. Yeah. Um, I, I, lots of folks out there with, with house pets as familiars. Cool. Do that. I am all, <laughs> all about the ethereal. <laughs> um, I have a hobby. It's a dorky hobby. I like recreating um, crazy ass old spells from grimoires and stuff like like Greek magical papyri for days. Like I just, I love doing weird stuff like that. So there's a, there's a ritual in there for summoning a, a demon, a daemon. For everyone listening, I'm not talking about like the red get with the horns or whatever. Daemons are um, a type of spirit, an intelligent spirit that gives guidance and advice. It's, it's a buddy that you can summon up to be there for you and help you with magical operations. So I decided I was gonna give that a shot and this spell is nuts too, by the way. You need like, I needed uh, the skull of a certain kind of animal. I had to sit on a roof and watch the sun both set and rise and you can't fall asleep the whole time. Oh but, my goodness. But the big ask is you have to shave off all your hair. <laughs> Part of the spell is shaving off all your hair. Damn. I'm Luckily I've grown it back during the pandemic. I did this like four years ago and have suffered bad hairstyles ever since. It's been really terrible. <laughs> but you been, did. You shaved it. Wow. I did and was terrified to fall asleep because what if I shaved my head for nothing? <laughs> it's totally right. That's, that's motivation to stay awake right there. There you go. Cool. Big old thermos full of caffeine. <laughs> and the uh, one of the spell components, again, was an animal skull and it was uh, a bird that is on the migratory list. So I assuredly was not going to like commit crimes. For my right. So I had to wait till I found one that got like road killed or something. So it took me years to even do the damn spell in the first place. Pardon my language. No, that, we, no. We'll put a tag <laughs> on this time. one. Who cares? Yes. 
So here I am sitting on the roof of a chicken coop because that's a roof and it did not say how high. Thank you. <laughs> did not want to fall asleep and roll off of a house. <laughs> it's a I could very... have seen all these new scenarios of what could happen in the middle of the spell. <laughs> Holy crap. It's very official and very legit high magic stuff sitting on a chicken coop with a shaved head. And yeah, it is. <laughs> rural North Carolina it's very official so at when the sun rose nothing happened <laughs> at all <laughs> very anticlimactic spell so I go to bed and in the middle of the night I find myself not sleeping and you ever have one of those spirit experiences where the shadows just sort of have an opinion of their own it was one of those nights and that's when I met Veed I so named him. He did not ever communicate a name to me and has yet because oh. he's a jackass. And <laughs> Vide, uh, from the French, it means void. He told me once that he was made of, and I quote, the spaces between things. So interpret that however you will. But he's got all the personality of like um, a sassy mammal in a Disney cartoon. He's just kind of a jerk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mostly looks like a crow but sometimes looks like a people and um he helps me does things ferries things to places the primary task that i give him is eating grief at funerals i take him with me everywhere and i use him as a grief eater it's a great ask i talk to my therapist about said bird a lot and um, she thinks it's very weird or at least did until she saw him herself <laughs> Really? She did? <gasps> That's amazing. That's not, amazing. He does not always stay with me. Uh, I think Damon's definitely have a life of their own outside whatever they're doing with you. Um, they mm -hmm. are higher spirits. So he comes and goes as he pleases. If I call him for assistance, sometimes he comes and sometimes he doesn't. If I ask him to leave, sometimes he doesn't. <laughs> He's just kind of a jerk. And amusingly, one of my twins can see him as well. Wow. Um, not both of them, but just the one. She talks to the bird all, all the time. Wow. Wow. So. Oh, Martellus, thank you for sharing so much with us. I also just want to say, you're, I've never read a more poetic acknowledgement section, I think, ever in my life. It was beautiful. And the stuff you say about your children is wow we could all have been so lucky to have a mom like you i just want to say and then i read the back of your book i squealed and my wife was in the kitchen with me and she's like what i said come read is does this mean what i think it means and and the uh letters assigned female at birth and mm -hmm. it's uh, yeah and i was just like that is what i think it is isn't it because i hadn't read your bio yet in your blog and she's like that's cool i didn't know i don't know if you noticed but i tried um very hard to make sure that i'm gender neutral throughout with with all pronouns in the book and references to familial connections and so on that was really important to me i have uh, to ask, i have to ask you a question though yeah. So a couple of people have told me they were moved by the acknowledgments. And I'm just yeah. curious at this point, what, what was it about? What got you? Okay. Speaking the biggest, <laughs> the biggest one I got is to, I think it's to your daughter. Oh, for one thing, your daughter's name is Rhiannon. What an interesting goddess, not just the Stevie Nicks song. Uh, what a beautiful <laughs> story, Rhiannon. Beautiful and heartbreaking story Rhiannon has. Um, my beautiful firstborn, thank you for being there beside me always, even when it's hard. I'm proud of the person you're growing up to be. You seem 
to always question how you fit into my world. But don't. Never try and wear my shoes. Sorry. Go chase your own rainbows and live a life of beauty and adventure. I'll be here with a cup of tea when you need it. To my Soren and Luna, my twins, my sun and my moon, I love you so much. And you made the writing of this book so very hard. Many of these words were written with you sitting on my lap, crying, reaching, slapping the keyboard and giggling. Vanna? Is it Vanna? Vanessa. Vanna, I want you to know that wherever life may take you, when you need family, you'll find it here. Vanna's <laughs> a bit of an adopted daughter. We, we just sort of claimed her from a family that wasn't loving her as much as we thought was necessary. <laughs> yeah. I just, it, as you can see, I'm crying. Um, I cried the first time I read it too. I, I just found it so beautiful and such a beautiful note to Rhiannon about, don't worry about where you fit. And I just, I wish all parents could take that attitude. And I'm happy for your children. And I just think you are a remarkable human. And we are so grateful you came on the podcast today. Thank you. As I say often, I'm pretty regular, but thanks for rounding up. <laughs> I, Rhiannon and I have our hard days. It was tough, I think, turning 18 during a pandemic. And I, I, I mourn for her all the things she lost of senior week and graduation and going off to college even. She's just been in this terrible holding pattern. Mm. I think all parents and kids have their tough moments, but but I love her and I am proud of her and I, I can't wait to see what she becomes. Wishing her well, all those seniors. That was when we thought we were going to be in this for a couple of weeks and then a couple of months. I was lamenting so hard for all la- the class of 2020 and and I thought that was, oh, that's just awful to not be able to finish it out. But there are kids who are spending their entire senior year and their first year of college in this. So I just, I hope healing comes for all of them and that they have amazing experiences once we are, have this a little more under control. I won't say back to normal because I don't think we're ever going back to normal, but that's just me. Uh, I, think, I mean, I is think normal really a great place to get back to in well, some cases? Well, by normal, I mean, no, I don't want to go back to the way things were before, but <laughs> being able to go out and being no. able to with, you know, I, I don't know about you all, but I will probably always have a mask in my pocket or on my face. Um, I, was, I was just going to say my, my yeah. grandmother, to whom I wrote in the acknowledgments, she... Yeah came up during the depression she was my daughter's age during that and she had such funny quirks even up to her death like she always she wouldn't use her bathtub like she was so scared of wasting water and she would she rinsed every milk jug she ever got and fill it with water and sit it in the bathtub because she was terrified to not have water and she like saved tin foil and on like things she was just concerned about never having enough. And I think we're going to have this whole generation who we always have masks and gloves and there's always an extra case of toilet paper and like all that little stuff that we're hand sanitizer. I learned how to make hand sanitizer. Like that's the thing I've been doing. When you grow up with very little, it colors everything you do forever. Like I know, I know that even if the power goes out, my toilet will flush. However, when I was little, that was not the case. So like I'm every time I think the power might go out, there's an instinct I have to kind of like pull back, which is I got to fill up a bucket so we can flush the toilet. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, 
I was reading some, some, the community, there's always some kind of drama, I guess, and somebody had sent me a, a post to read and someone was sort of deriding other people for not being as well off as they are or not having as much money. And I that stuck with me, it really stuck in my craw. Because first of all, there is nothing wrong in the world with not having much. I, I don't have much and I don't want more. I have enough and that's what counts. I think you're right, Corey, when you grow up in a certain way, it, it really stays with you. And I grew up so poor, so desperately yeah. poor. I mean, on top of all the religious abuse, blah, blah, blah. I, there was just this poverty. We'd go days without meals. I remember dumpster diving for food and clothes. I remember we had, we never had a working washing machine or dryer. We hand washed everything. I ironed clothes dry for my father. I remember we never had a functioning bathroom in the upstairs of the house. It had standing water in it that mosquito larvae would literally grow in. Like you could see, I remember we didn't have toilet paper. We just use a, like a washcloth or a piece of fabric. We didn't have feminine we catalogs ah. in the jiffy. Yeah. You know, you know then. Wow, Did you this... also like half your dishes were like the crystal oats glasses? Did you have those? with the... oh. Wow. So I grew up in Missouri for the first nobody seven years of my life. Those. When I mentioned the wedding oats, nobody knows. Wow. Do you know about this, Corey? And um, oatmeal with dishes in them? <laughs> I don't know about those. Uh, but I'm just thinking back. My mother raised us by herself. And uh, she always, she never made it seem like we didn't have enough. I, she's a wizard. I She's the most amazing person I've ever met. I love my mother very much. But when I look back at certain things and I, or I mention them, people are like, what? And I'm like, oh. Oh, that's the thing. Yeah. Oh. I, I don't know. It's a little, it's a little different for me because my, my parents, they were not loving people and they, they were definitely very cruel. I'm very, very fortunate in that. Yes. I, I didn't have so that balance. I didn't have that to balance the terrible, but uh, yeah, I, I, just all those mm. funny little things that people don't like, what are you talking about? Wedding oat glasses. <laughs> like, what <are> you... <laughs> yeah. I have to say another thing that broke my heart and I, I am not going to pry, but I just, I'm sorry. You didn't get to give the eulogy or be a pallbearer for your grandmother. I'm re very sorry about that. I think that's one of those things that I hope people read that and they reassessed death and burial situations they were a part of and paused to wonder if maybe it wasn't that there wasn't time for the eulogy or they were worried about uneven ground and maybe they just didn't want you to do that thing. Maybe they didn't think what you wrote was appropriate or good. And yeah. think about all the ways in which you're checked. I, I think your book will really believe this will heal a lot. I felt a lot of magic when I held it in my hand. But it's true. There's just there's just a lot there. So thank you so much. We if you are up for it, we would love to have you back when like maybe before your next get you beforehand your next book to promote the next one when it comes out. We would love to have you back and I'll see you on April 24th. I signed up for your um, class. So and I heard you say somewhere that you have your past classes somewhere, but I went and looked for them and I can't find them. But I wasn't on my computer. I was on my phone. So I'll hop on my computer and find them. <laughs> They're on the store page at the very okay. bottom. There's a little streaming channel. And I, I, saw always, I always tell people this and I hope you'll give me a moment for it. But yeah, 
I strongly believe that information should be freely available. And I absolutely know what it's like to not be able to access information because finances are an issue. So I always put this out there for every single person and it's on my FAQ. If you want to take a class, if you need something from my shop, if you need a reading, you need help, you need mediumship, you want to stream an old class, but can't afford it, message me and I'll make sure you get it for free. Now, it's so generous of you. For those of you who can afford it, if you're streaming classes, it helps offset those costs. If you go into my FAQ, there's a PayPal link and you can donate the cost of a ticket and say it's for someone who couldn't afford it. And I, I probably give away more than two thirds of every workshop for free. So keep that in mind if you're able wow. to afford it. Well, that's really cool. Oh, Mortellus, what a joy to meet you. <laughs> thank you for coming. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you for so much of your time. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. What an interview. Yeah. Like, what a cool, fun, informative, weird, awesome conversation. Yeah. The book is, some of the big takeaways I took from the book is it's really important to know the rituals, feel the rituals, maybe even go through the rituals with someone you love. And I think it's really important to embrace death so that you can really live your life. Yeah. Because you spend your whole life running away from something, you're not going to experience any of the good stuff. Yeah. She just makes that so clear all throughout the book. It's three sections, basically, the book is. And uh, we get some pre-information and information. I think the first six chapters, I want to say, are is information that every single human on the planet should have about uh, <laughs> how the body is disposed of and yeah. what you can ask for and legally how m many more rights we have than, than you think you do. And then the second part of the book is all the traditions and their different, uh, their different funeral rites uh, to the ability that they are able to share. And she brought in a lot of people from those traditions to help her write those. And then the last part is it's titled No Two Deaths Are the Same. And it talks about uh, companion animals and unborn children, uh, miscarriages and abortion, and, uh, stillbirths. There are lots of others, just unexpected death. And it's just a beautiful, gorgeous book. And I meant what I said somewhere in the interview about how I actually came away with a lot of joy and comfort from this book. And it really led to some great conversations that Tammy and I will continue to have now. For um, sure. Yeah. So I'm excited for you to... I'm excited to read it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, we've been talking an awful lot today. Should we go send up some sparks? Let's do it. Well, related to Mortellus, I my spark today is I want to shout out that uh, they're teaching a workshop called Necromantic Practice for Beginners. It's on Saturday, April 24th. Uh, and you can locate that at mortellus.com slash events. There's a lot of interesting stuff coming up, and that's the one that caught my eyeball. And so I would love to uh, extend that invitation to all of you as well. I would really like to go to it. I am going to it. I signed up last night. And yeah. la by last night, I mean <laughs> the night before we recorded this episode. Yeah, we are... Uh... We're both pretty jazzed on this. I'm loving this like online education that so many of us are able to experience because 
of, you know, the internet. <laughs> yeah, that is the one. Uh, well, uh, there are a couple of things that have just made us, made our lives change, I think, that I hope that we hang on to when we come out of the pandemic. And this is one of them, this connection via this medium. I'm excited that you want to do it. I'm not surprised you want to do it. I, yeah. I had a feeling you, just reading her book, I was reminded, and reading her blog even more so, oh my gosh, her blog is so good, reminded me of you. That really. means a lot. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. See, when I was little, people thought I was just a creepy, morbid weirdo, but you get me. <laughs> you are not a creepy, morbid weirdo. <laughs> I mean, I kind of am. No, you're not. No. <laughs> you're kind of cool. You're the cool best friend. So, <laughs> you know. Score. <laughs> uh, what's your spark today, my dear? My spark is Priestess Miriam from the New Orleans Voodoo Spiritual Temple. I took one of her workshops at WitchCon, and she sang and she talked to us about her religion, how to become involved, really just communed and worshipped with us. If uh, I don't usually say worship in regards to witchcraft or Wiccan practices, but that is that is what it felt like. And she was just this infectious, wonderful woman and I, I just feel so blessed to have met her. Yeah, she was born in 1943 in Jackson, Mississippi, and she's been a mother and a priestess uh, and the co-founder for a very long time. And I, I just, you, you need her energy in your life. So uh, check her out. I love that. Yeah. I can't wait to find out more about this awesome person. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, well. We'll make sure that there are um, links and handles and ways to uh, access all of that in our show notes. <sighs> yeah. Until next time, y'all. Yeah. Until we until we meet again. Be well. Harm none. And don't forget, you are magic. You are magic. <laughs> You're magic. You are so magic. <laughs> you are so magic. Magical. You are magic. You are magical. <laughs> All right. I'm good. <laughs> hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And we'd like to ask you to rate and review us on Apple Podcast. And to press the little plus sign on Spotify to add us to your episodes. You can also find us on iHeartRadio and just about anywhere where you listen to podcasts. But if you want to reach out and talk to us, you can email us at bonfirebabblepodcast at gmail.com. That's where you can sign up for the newsletter or just ask us questions and hang out. You can catch us on Twitter at bonfirebabble or on Facebook at bonfirebabblepodcast or on Instagram at bonfirebabblepodcast, which is where we spend most of our time. Yes. We are also... Hooray! On TikTok now at Bonfire Rebel Podcast. Thank you, Corey. Woohoo! Woohoo! Uh, it's a little baby page right now, but we are recording things and putting them up. And our website will also start to have a lot more information, and that is bonfirebabble.com. You can also reach out to us in a more tangible way. We have a P.O. Box now, which is P.O. Box 16341. Seattle, Washington, 98116. We would like to acknowledge that we are on the traditional land of the first people of Seattle. The Duwamish people, past and present, and honor with gratitude the land itself and the Duwamish tribe. For more information, reach out to realrent.com.
www.ghostdoc.org.